What fresh hell is this? Mommy! Where are my damn glasses? Alicia, it's your mother. When you get a chance, give me a call, please. Thank you. Has anybody seen my phone? Mom! Mom! Honey! Oh, I think something's burning in the kitchen. Where are my goddamn glasses? Mama! Alicia, I just hung up with producers. They loved your read. They said you owned the room. Great job, sweetheart. But they're going in another direction. Which direction? Away from you. Oh, never mind. Oh, great. Found my glasses. Hello, I am Alicia Coppola. I am an actress and an author of Gracefully Gone on Amazon, hard copy, and Kindle. Shameless plug. I am a wife, a mother of three daughters, a chef, a laundress, a maid, a vacuumer of copious amounts of dog hair. But what I really am is a bootstrap bitch. I have pulled myself up on my bootstraps more times than I can count. Like most of my guests, I haven't always had it easy. Everyone has a story. Some of my guests are famous. Some are just famous in their own homes. Some are getting through or have gotten through major ordeals. And others are just trying to make it through Monday. All of their transformational journeys are inspiring, aspiring, and courageous. We who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps don't bitch. We do. Welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. You don't have to be female to be a bootstrap bitch because it's not a female thing. Being a bootstrap bitch is a human thing. It's not a title, it's not a name, it's an attitude. It's a movement of action. My guest today is Eben Britton, former NFL offensive right tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Chicago Bears. Childhood rage took him all the way to the NFL, but passion to heal himself took him on the journey of healing old wounds and new by becoming a preeminent cannabis advocate and cannabis for athletes advocate. This gentle giant of a man then became soul brothers with another bootstrap bitch, Mike Tyson, where together on their podcast, Hot Boxing, they healed the pain and the trauma together. Here's Eben. I'm so happy to introduce Eben Britton. Um, my husband, Anthony Michael Jones, is also going to be involved in today's episode of Bootstrap Bitch. And I think Eben actually should be my poster for Bootstrap Bitch because how you pulled yourself up from your your career is astounding. So for people who don't know you, Eben played football for Burroughs High School in Burbank. Then you played football for University of Arizona. In 2009, you were drafted to the Jacksonville Jaguars where you spent four years. And then you went on to the Chicago Bears for two more years before retiring in 2014 at age 26. Yep. That's, okay. that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. 2009, you had a knee injury. In 2010, you had a torn labrum. In 2011, you had back surgery. 2012, you had an ankle injury. And then I think 2014, you had a hamstring injury, which pretty much just did you in. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the back was pretty... I could have been done after the back. You really. could have been done. You could have saved yourself. The, the, yeah. yeah. And then what's interesting is you're a football player. You're an offensive lineman, right yeah. tackle. You've done that for all of your high school career, your entire college career, all of your professional career. And you retire at 26 
how do you pull yourself out of that whole world? How do you develop a whole new life for yourself? And how did you get into your advocacy for cannabis? Um, and then, of course, <clears throat> working with Mike Tyson now on the podcast, Hot Boxing. How does that all happen? <laughs> uh, it's, um, well, I'll just start with, you know, football was always therapy for me. It was, you know, I loved playing football because football was this place where I could use all of this rage in my heart and I could express all of this violence onto other people and I could be celebrated for it, you know, and I was championed for my physical intensity and violence on the football field. And it carried me a really long way, it carried me to the NFL. You know, I had this dream when I was a little kid of being one of these gridiron warriors, being a guy who played football on Sundays. And, and my mom would never let me, of course. She was always like, you're going to get hurt. And she was really worried about me playing football until finally my freshman year of high school. And I stepped on the football field. And really it was, you know, from that point on, I had this great combination of obviously the physical size and the athletic ability. But then I combined that with this... Uh, tenaciousness, this, um, you know, this physical violence, this rage that I had from a childhood steeped in a family of alcoholism and abuse, physical abuse from my childhood. You know, I had a lot of anger in me that I needed to get out and football was my therapy. And so the way I played was, you know, a million miles an hour, a hundred percent all the time. And that got me to the NFL. And when I got there, you know, I realized, I've realized since that I was playing football because I felt like I had to prove to the world how big and tough and badass I was and how scary I was. You know, at the end of the day, it wasn't because I loved football or I loved like who I was in football. I... You know, because when I got to the NFL and I achieved this dream of, you know, reaching the peak of this mountain I had been climbing for so long, I still had this massive hole in my soul, you know. I had all the money I could have ever dreamed of. I had the house. I had the car. I had all access to all the material possessions I could possibly want. And at the end of the day, like, I was still miserable. I was still not enough for myself. You know, I wasn't enough for, uh, I hadn't done enough. I was still like, what's next? What do I do now? You know? Um, and I was just talking about this earlier with a buddy of mine. Um, you know, and then, so my physical body started breaking down because, you know, once your spirit and your heart are out of alignment, with your body, then your body starts to take on all the stress and the pressure of whatever it is you're doing. So, you know, my back went, my shoulder went, you know, uh, I had surgeries, I had weird things like after my back surgery, I had an infection in the disc uh, that put me out for the rest of a year where I had to go on eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. That was my third year in Jacksonville. And I really could have been done because I couldn't, I, at that time, you know, with the back injury, I couldn't even feel my right foot on the ground. 
you know, because of the sciatic pain, the nerve damage that was happening. Um, so was, my body really, sorry, no, go ahead. I, I, I was actually telling Anthony that um, right before uh, we got onto the Zoom, I somaticize. Do you know this word? Uh, if it has to do with somatic, uh, you know, how the body and the mind. Correct. So I somaticize all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, I was asking Anthony, do you suppose that his body was breaking down because his body hated what he was doing? It no longer served. Exactly. It no longer served what your purpose was going to be, which of course is the complete, you were, you, you, you killed people on a football field for a living. You were paid very handsomely to do that. Yeah. And then your body broke down because it was no longer serving your, your, your purpose. Yeah. And then you turn into this soft, gentle, <laughs> giant bear. Well, I, I actually had a question. Yeah. I actually had a question about the, that last part. Because we're friends, everybody, Evan and I, Alicia and his wife, Brittany, and his family, we're all friends. So yeah. we've known him a, a, a long time. But I'm wondering if that rage and anger on the field when you were playing, when you realized you were unhappy because it wasn't fulfilling you, did you also become that guy off the field? Because we've only known you as this very sweet, caring, thoughtful guy. So back then, were you two people or were you just one? I definitely, you know, uh, I always, from the time I was in high school, you know, and this goes back, this is like, you know, um, I, I mean, my life, you know, my life out, out of football, at least for the last five years, has really been a healing process and coming to terms with everything that got me to football, everything I was in football, and then who I am truly at the center of it all. Because I have this really strange, I have a very complex relationship with my own anger and my own rage and that goes back to being a little kid who was really angry at the world after my parents got divorced and I started to get into a lot of fights and in elementary school I was in like I was <laughs> I was in the principal's office all the time in elementary school and I remember so vividly my mom she had to come pick me up on a number of occasions from school. And she said to me, she said, you have to be very careful about expressing your anger and you need to have a, a tight leash on your anger and your frustration because you're going to be the biggest guy in a room. And when you walk into a room, just your physicality in its own right is going to intimidate people and scare people. And I took that so deeply that now it affects me today, you know, and it affected me then. So how does that relate to my football career? Well, from the, basically from the time I stepped on the football field, coaches preach this idea of flipping the switch so that the moment you step on the field, you turn into somebody else. That was definitely a part of, you know, my functioning mechanism as a football player. But as you get older, as an athlete, and especially in football, and you see this in a lot of guys in football, 
it becomes more and more difficult to flip that switch because now you've spent years and years in this cycle of adrenaline and testosterone and cortisol, all of these stress hormones. So when you come home, it gets more and more difficult to decompress and to turn it off. You know, so for me, thank God I had sort of the, the, the programming as a child of, you know, I was not exposed to any domestic violence, you know, which many guys are, which creates sort of an uncontrollable monster in this, you know, in this way where, you know, there's a lot of issues of domestic violence. Um, so I was just disengaged from my family when I came home. You know, I was very depressed. I was very low level functioning, you know, outside of football. I was just, you know, I was dying inside. I was dying. I was losing connection for myself and who I am and uh, what I'm supposed to be doing here. How did you turn that around for yourself? How, if you have no outlet anymore, because the football field is no longer a home for you, where does that rage go? Mm. How did you not turn it against yourself or did you? And how did you rise above that? Mm. Well, the rage and the anger definitely did turn against myself throughout my time in football. You know, substance abuse, tons of alcohol, tons of you know, just making really bad decisions that affected my family in really negative ways that affected my connection with my wife in really negative ways. Um, so that was that. But my last year in Chicago, I, it was just, it was a miserable year. We were not good. The team as a whole was really bad. We, I think we ended up going like three and 13 or something. So it was the kind of year where at the end of the year, everyone got fired. All the coaches were fired, the general manager, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I was on a one-year deal. In the middle of that season, during our bye week, I was at home with my family in L.A. We had flown to L.A. because my high school was retiring my jersey. I... Um, my appendix exploded during the ceremony. So while in LA for the bio week, I had to go and have an emergency appendectomy. I had one of those. Brutal. As Brutal. You know. I was in the hospital for a week in LA while the guys had gone back to practice. I had to call everybody, tell them what happened. Of course, this is another sign from the universe yeah. that, Not you know, it's over. Stay home. Yeah. Um, so I come back, I finally, I get back to Chicago. Finally, um, I've lost like 30 pounds. So they give me like another month. There was about eight weeks left of the season. And it took me about a month after that to kind of get, gain my weight back and get back into shape. And so finally I do. And it's late in the year now. It's like, you know, we have maybe one or two games left. And I'm sitting there in the film room watching the film. And I'm just thinking to myself, all of a sudden it dawns on me, like, literally, all of a sudden. It was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Mm. What am I doing here now? 
you know. I used to want to kill this guy on film, and I have nothing but love and respect for him now. And all I want to do is, you know, be his friend and just relate to him as a human. This coach behind me running the film doesn't give a fuck about me. I'm in just immense amounts of pain doing everything I can to get out on the football field, taking pills. Like, what am I doing here? I, I'm not here. This is not for me anymore. So your internal switch flipped the opposite direction. Yes. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, I had another way I describe it as like I had, I had exercised all the demons, you know, I had put it all out on the field. I had done everything I had to do in football. And I knew right then it was time that I was kind of done. So then that year ended. I was a free agent. I was still kind of playing with the idea if a team wanted to sign me back, then I would maybe give it a shot. But the Bears said they weren't going to sign me. Uh, you know, and we had some decisions to make as a family. You know, my wife had just passed the California bar. So I was like, let's move back to LA. Let's set up shop there. Let's buy a house with the, the rest of the money we have from this football career. Uh, let's get you started in your career and we'll see what happens with me. If I get another deal or not, I don't know, but we'll just see what happens. Uh, so through that, I was kind of starting to lean towards not playing anymore, being done. Um, I hadn't totally made that commitment yet, but I was really leaning in that direction. And then uh, this is another sort of long tangential story, but it was part of, you know, the universe telling me, Eb, if you want to be done, you can be done, which is I failed a drug test that year for Ritalin. Yes. I had been taking Adderall for since my second year in the NFL because of this cognitive decline I was facing, you know, I was super depressed. I was super tired. I had very little mental energy. And so I started taking Adderall and I got a therapeutic use exemption for it, which you can get in the NFL. You have a doctor diagnosed me with ADHD so they could prescribe me Adderall so that I could take it and not test positive on a drug test. So during that last year in Chicago, I had after that uh, emergency appendectomy and I had come back to Chicago, I was out of my Adderall prescription. So I went to one of my teammates who had Ritalin and I took one of those because I thought, hey, it treats the same disorder. Even if I get drug tested, I'll have a good argument as to, you know, why I was using it and I shouldn't have a issue with being suspended or anything. I was, so of course I took the Ritalin and that day I get a drug test. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't until... February of the next year. So months later, I get a letter in the mail from uh, the league saying, you tested positive for Ritalin and we're suspending you for the first four games of next season. So I go, I try to fight it. The NFLPA, who is of no help, says, oh, we can't fight it. They're not, they're not going, they're not uh, taking this argument. They don't, they don't see it as valid, so you're getting suspended. You know, it was really like the universe, another sign. Eb, you can be done if you want to be done. So from that point, I was now like 80% I'm done, 20%. Hey, if the right team calls, I'll, I'll still do it, maybe, you know. 
but let's move back to LA. So in the meantime, I'm like, what in the hell am I going to do? Yeah. What do you think? And that's all. Yeah. That's all I knew, you know? And, and I was, you know, I, at the time I considered myself to be a guy who sort of had an idea of what I was going to do after football. I was, I had majored in creative writing at the University of Arizona. I always had this underlying, you know, sort of vision of being a writer after my football career. So I had this stack of journals and my wife goes, Ed, now it's time to write the book, you know, being the godsend that she is. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. What have I, I've got this stack of journals from college through to my, you know, last day in the, in the NFL of the notes I took of my experience. Yes, now it's time to write this book. So I got handed off to, from my football agent, I got handed off to a literary agent. We worked on this book proposal for a few months. It came out great. Um, Got some interest from publishers, but they had either already filled their sports book, uh, you know, whatever you call it, um, quota, or they wanted more dirt or bigger red carpet story. And, you know, my story was really like the everyday grind of the NFL offensive lineman, you know, and sort of the reality of that life. And that didn't get a book deal out of it, but it turned into this article that I wrote, which really talked about my dealings with injuries and prescription medications in That's the NFL. The cauldron? Yes, for the cauldron. Okay. You've done a lot of research, Alicia. I love it. Um, so We've been talking a lot about Evan Britton in this house the last couple of days. That's cool. I appreciate that. Well, we miss you guys. we got to fuck. Fuck this shit. Like I said, I'm about to lick a stranger. I don't I care. I'm right there. I'm right there. So uh, I write this article. It gets a lot of attention. Um, the next thing I know you know, my story's kind of drifting out there. And I, I end up doing this Netflix documentary called Take Your Pills, which is all about Adderall. And, you know, I sort of had the perspective from professional sports. And, um, and then I sort of drift or very organically found myself in cannabis advocacy, you know, throughout my time in the NFL, I had had this very visceral experience of painkillers and opiates like Vicodin and Oxycontin. They always had a really horrible effect on me, made me feel really sick, uh, made me feel really angry and full of rage and irritable. And, you know, I was lashing out at all of my loved ones, you know, from my mom and my girlfriend, now wife and my brother. And I was like, I was, I was volatile, you know, anytime I took these pills and I realized like, oh, when I take this pill that I think is supposed to help me relax and get out of pain, I'm actually in more pain because I'm more irritated and I'm more anxious and I'm on a hair trigger. And I was like, this shit is terrible. So from about, you know, about my last Once I got to Chicago, I was no longer taking the painkillers. And cannabis really became my go-to recovery tool because I realized very, just intuitively, you know, I was always a team leader. I was always a team captain. I was always a guy that the coaches looked to to set the example for for everyone else of how to do things. So 
I was very uh, private about my cannabis use, you know, and that I smoked weed and that, you know, this was something that I did to help myself recover because God forbid a coach or someone thinks I'm a stoner, you know. Um, and you played many games high. I did. I did towards the end. And, you know, but yeah. it, looking back, I probably played all the games high. And like, but not in pain in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, but I realized, you know, throughout that experience, I was like, oh, I can come home from this really long, stressful day. I can smoke a little weed and like I can relate with my family. I can get a good night's rest. I can wake up the next day feeling recovered, you know, whereas taking the pills, I get I, I'm put into a terrible mood. I can't sleep through the night because I'm up at two or three o'clock in the morning with withdrawal symptoms and needing more pills. And it's, it's terrible. So I very organically started just talking about this experience with cannabis. And that led to just learning more and more about the science. And when I finally came to this, the first conference I ever went to, to speak at, it was a panel of me and three other NFL guys, a guy named Kyle Turley, Ricky Williams, and uh, Nate Jackson. And Kyle Turley, you know, Ricky is sort of the poster child for cannabis use in the NFL because he was really one of the first players in the game to sort of stand up for his freedom of choice of pain management. Uh, but Kyle Turley has really been sort of the tip of the spear in this cannabis for football players movement. Um, and he was always a huge idol of mine because he was also an offensive tackle. He was an all pro. And so I had followed him for a long time and he invited me to this conference he was speaking at and he starts talking and he starts talking. He starts off his segment of the talk with, the federal government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. And this just blew my mind. You know, our federal government, this, this governing body who has deemed cannabis so illegal and has demonized it and stigmatized it actually has done scientific studies to prove the medical merit of this plant. And it just blew my mind because they have a patent on this stuff that says that the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant actually help protect our brains from damage and can help our brains heal after they've been damaged. Sure, but you can grow that in your garden, big pharma. Yes, exactly. So that sort of lit this new fire of purpose in me and was sort of the beginning of getting my feet back on the ground of like who I am and what I'm doing here. Um, I think that's when we first met you. Yeah, I think well, so. we met. We met before we went to the Vegas trip, yeah. on the soccer field with the girls, even a year or so before that. But I think what's amazing about what you're saying is becoming a professional athlete, especially in in the NFL. I would imagine even more so than some other sports, takes a certain amount of high intensity that you have to put your mind and your body and your heart through. Mm -hmm. And through all that, you you did that and then you had to really downshift and be open and be thoughtful and instead of going after career going down a very bad road where that that stuff could have gotten worse the pill taking all that stuff right yep oh absolutely 
you your your two biggest muscles of it are your heart and your brain for sure no doubt for you to be able to think through all that the way you did and i also think that you listen rage is an emotion you know it's uh yeah. and it and but so is passion mm. mm -hmm. so so what I'm kind of hearing is that you took that rage, which no longer served you anymore, when you realized that you had that Oprah aha moment in that Chicago screening room, mm. then it channeled into, into something that is the complete opposite. Yeah. Then, of course, you team up with um, another guy who knows absolutely nothing about rage, named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rage, very... Very, yeah. very, very distant. How did that come about? Well, I met Mike through, really through my cannabis advocacy, because okay. Mike was starting his own cannabis company, this massive enterprise of, you know, a cannabis operation. He's doing a resort out in the desert uh, that would be, you know, basically like a can the first of its kind cannabis friendly resort and spa where you could go get a hotel room, stay, enjoy, you know, the whole thing. I got introduced to him because he was trying to put on this cannabis and athletes medical summit. And the people that were putting on the thing really didn't know exactly where to start. So I got called in and introduced to him and I helped him pull this whole uh, cannabis Medical Summit together, brought in a bunch of athletes, a bunch of neuroscientists, some team owners, some doctors, etc., and had a sort of a roundtable discussion that we filmed talking about cannabis as medicine for professional athletes. And through that, him and his business partner said, Eb, you know, we, we really, uh, we love your energy. We love everything you do. We're not exactly sure how, you know, what you can do here yet, but we want to pay you to just come and be here as a consultant and to bring in whatever resources you have, et cetera. So I really liked what they were doing. You know, we were very much on the same wavelength. And so I just started coming in, started showing up at first. I wasn't, as, I wasn't really sure what I was doing there. <laughs> to be honest, I was bringing in sort of, you know, as an NFL player who ends up in the cannabis space at that time, five years ago, especially going to all these conferences, I got a chance to meet sort of all of the players in the game, you know, all of the CEOs of all the sort of up and coming big cannabis operations. I got to meet and spend time with these people. So I had a huge network and contact list that I could bring in, you know, to However, that made sense, along with some other companies that I had started and founded in the cannabis space. For instance, I started an organization called Athletes for Care. Um, a few years ago, I started a CBD company called Be True, which has since, you know, I, I left there because we were on different pages and it was a great business learning experience. I mean, at the same time, you know, I'm like learning as I go through all of this, you know, because I've spent my whole life playing football and really don't know anything about business or anything like that. So it's been just like trial by fire, you know, doing it all on the go. So I came in with Mike um, and soon thereafter, at the time I had already, I had my own podcast called the Mindful Warrior Podcast. Uh, they 
decided that they wanted to bring back Mike's podcast or, you know, start a new podcast with Mike and said, Ed, we'll build you a studio. You can record your podcast here. And we'd like you to help us create a new podcast with Mike. So I said, sure, you know, that's easy. We could, you know, that's, that's sort of my bread and butter is this media creation, um, content creation. And through this sort of athletes and wellness uh, niche um, and sort of holistic healing, we created Hotboxing. And we've had, you know, and the great thing is with Mike, you know, everyone wants to come and talk to Mike because he's, he's just like a demigod. He's like this, you know, cultural icon. The interesting thing is I was really coming out of when I met him, I was coming out of a deep, deep few years of healing. You know, I'd done a lot of plant medicine through there. I Therapy had become, you know, a staple in my life. You know, I really, I hit rock bottom around 2016 where, you know, my entire life came crashing over me in a tidal wave, you know, and I just, I had to completely surrender or else my whole family would be destroyed. I would be destroyed. You know, I remember having this, horrific argument over the phone with my wife driving to my CBD company one day where I basically said, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody. And, uh, you know, it was really the end of it. Of It was like hitting complete rock bottom. I didn't know what to do, where to go. My wife, thankfully, you know, she went to my mom and my aunt and was like, I don't know what to do with Evan. You know, he's, he's completely just you know, he's devastated mentally, physically, and emotionally, and I don't know where we're going to go from here. And from there, I fell into support groups, you know, coming together with people, men in particular, who had experienced trauma and, you know, a similar upbringing and background as me. And, you know, it really gave me this context of not being alone and starting to sort of put together these tools of living. Uh, which then led me into meditation, really just surrendering to everything in my life, surrendering to the chaos that I'd caused throughout my time in the NFL, who I had become, what I, who I really was, what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and the truth of my existence here. Um, and so when I met Mike, he was in a very dark place, you know, and I could see the cloud swirling around him in this darkness, you know, he was very much, uh, a slave to his addictions and his vices when I met him, you know, and so our journey together really became about Mike healing himself and me sort of creating an environment where Mike could heal and feel comfortable coming to terms with his trauma and his pain and releasing himself from it. And, you know, throughout the sort of arc of the series started with him being in this really dark place. And it's come to, you know, Mike re-emerging as this sort of in his own spiritual awakening. Uh, and, and through that really giving me context on my life and the pain I've felt and the pain I've caused and 
all of that and coming to terms with it myself. So we became sort of like, like soul brothers in that we, we had this very intimate connection of healing our pain and our trauma with, you know, together through these interviews. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that yeah. almost brought tears to my eyes, actually. Um, that was the whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast. I too suffered great trauma when I was a child. I am still dealing with anger issues. I remember when I met you and your beautiful wife and child, I felt that about you. Like I just immediately saw it mm. and I just saw it in you. I don't know, maybe I'm an empath, but I, sure. you know, like, like what you saw with Mike, the, yeah. the clouds, yeah. I saw the same thing. And I remember one particular day, Mila had had uh, an emergency appendectomy. Do you remember this, Anthony? And oh, yeah. the two little ones had like strep throat and they had you, fevers of 137 and it was absolutely yeah, chaotic. A lot of illness going on right there. Yeah, it was a lot of illness. There was a lot of stress. And I remember I spent two nights at the hospital with Mila. We got her home and everything was chaotic. There was laundry on the dining room table. Like there was no food in the house. Everything was just crumbling and I came into my bedroom and actually nobody knows the truth about this but I put my fist through the wall wow yeah and, and I broke my hand oh. and we turned right back to the hospital where we just left Mila with yeah. Exactly. yeah and the next day I had an audition oh and I lied I lied about how I hurt my hand because I was so ashamed mm. of myself and I was so concerned of what people would think because women shouldn't have rage like that. Mm. It's, it's not something that you think. It took a while, but it was Anthony who told me that I don't have the tools. I'm just now learning the tools to deal with everything that had happened because nobody ever taught them to me. Yeah. My dad was too busy dying. I was too busy being sent off to boarding school. And then, mm. you know, I went to college. So really I grew up physically, but emotionally, I didn't really start to grow up until really I met my husband. Mm. And only now that I'm realizing, you know what? It's not too late for me to start gathering tools. So mm -hmm. the purpose of this podcast, like what you said in doing the interviews, is perhaps by getting people to tell me how they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, I'm going to develop some tools. Yeah. I'm going to learn from you. Hello. As, as you and Mike have learned from yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, we all learn from each other, you know. Yeah. Thank God, you know, part of the blessing is like, I, w I mean, you know, I don't, I was going to say, I wish I could say it was all on me, like it was all my doing, but I've also been very blessed to be surrounded by very loving, very supportive, very encouraging people, you know, and uh, I think that's, you know, one of the most important things of being human is like, we're in this together, literally. You know, from the microcosm of our family, you know, to the macrocosm of the human species, like 
we're very tribal and it's very important for us to be around each other because we're so social. Like we evolved that way, you know? I was always impressed when we would get together at your house, whether it was for a birthday or for a holiday. It wasn't just friends that were on. You had a lot of your family there all the time. Like your your family and Brittany's family. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I bet that was very um, important in you being able to kind of keep evolving. Oh my God. So important. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't really express enough of how much gratitude I have for the fact that, you know, my family has always been a safe place, you know, and they've always been just a place where like that's free of judgment, whatever is happening. Right. There's this thing that keeps popping into my head because you know, the truth is it's, this is like, it's incremental. The progress is so incremental, but, but it takes just daily discipline and vigilance of constantly practicing peace of mind, mindfulness, awareness, letting go. Like my life now is like a constant state of just letting go. Yeah. You know, like whatever it is, that I'm angry about or that I'm uncomfortable with or that I'm like struggling with in myself or that I'm angry at. It's like, fuck man. Can I just like, let it go? <laughs> you know, yeah. let it go. Are you always just going to hold that rope to play tug of war with someone? But when do you just decide to let go of the rope? And when you let go of the rope, there's no more conflict because you're not participating in it any longer you know it's like okay hey man yeah i know you want to do that you want to be upset you want to you know have this fight but i'm not really interested in that anymore you can apply that to anything you know that's a lesson right there well that is a lesson and i think it's a, also a really brilliant place to to end because i think you have come completely full circle you started off as a rageful child yeah, yeah yeah from trauma took it all the way to the nfl you turned that rage into a passion to help others and you are no longer boxing with god because mm. you're big but you're not that big yeah that's the truth your, your arms are too short i love that you know? I, love, I love that. And you yeah, I mean, life will just go. destroy you, you know. Life will destroy you if you let it, like you said. You can't fight God. You can't fight the universe. Like, you're fucked if that's the path you want to go down. I like that. Thank you, Evan. Perfect. Oh, my God. Thank you, guys. I'll come on again. <laughs>